to begin by giving honor to Pastor and Sister Showstrand, and we're praying for them, and I know it's not an easy journey for them to be um, on the other side of the world and ministering. It is certainly not a vacation, and so we're praying that God will strengthen them as God uses them and, and ministers, and although we're thankful that God uses them, I'm, I know we're all anxiously awaiting for them to return, so we can't wait for next week for them to be back. Um, I'm honored and humbled that they would allow me the opportunity to, to be here to speak on this platform, and, and it's truly an honor, and uh, I, I want you all to know that I take it very seriously. I, I don't take it lightly to have this opportunity. With that said, I believe that God's got a word for us this evening, and I appreciate the word that was spoken this morning by Sister Caitlin, and um, it was right in the same vein as where God has led me this evening. I love it when God does that. He just puts that little confirmation. And in fact, even Brother Shane, as, we led in, as he spoke a little bit going into worship, he was right in the same vein as, as what God has for us. And Sister Caitlin spoke this morning about the three G's on how to get through, how to get through the trial, gratitude and giving and grace. Tonight, I want to speak on how we respond to the trial. How does the church respond when the enemy attacks the church or attacks his people. If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 12, we'll read the first five verses in Acts chapter 12. It says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And verse 4 says, And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quartornians. I tried to practice that word beforehand. I still mess it up. Of soldiers. It's a hard word. Four soldiers. Old Testament, or New, sorry. King James could have come up with an easier word to just explain four soldiers there. But four soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. And verse 5 says, Peter therefore was kept in prison. But this is the key here. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. I want to speak for just a moment tonight on this title, a call to arms. A call to arms. Will you pray with me that the Lord will have his way this evening? Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this evening, God. We, we appreciate the opportunity to be in your presence, God, to hear your word, God. I pray that you would anoint my voice, God. Let me be your voice, God. Let me speak your word as you've given it to me, God. Help me to communicate it to your people, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. On December 7th, 1941, Japan launched a surprise attack on the United States of America at Pearl Harbor. Just before 8 a.m. on that Sunday morning, hundreds of Japanese fighter planes descended on the base where they managed to destroy or damage nearly 20 American naval vessels, including eight battleships and over 300 airplanes. More than 2,400 Americans died in that attack, and that includes civilians, and another 1,000 people were wounded. The attack devastated and shocked the nation. Japan's goal in attacking like this in such a surprise and devastating manner, was to catch the U.S. off guard and wipe out its Pacific fleet so that they would be left alone to fight in this area without any opposition. 
Their goal was to morally defeat the U.S. before the war even began. Their hope was that the loss would be so great that the U.S. would lose their ability and their will to fight. However, the very next day, Franklin Delano Roosevelt went before Congress and he gave his famous call to arms speech. A call to arms is when a president or a leader, he makes his case before the government and before the people, trying to convince them that this is the time to pick up arms and to go to war. And, and this famous speech, FDR said yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. Many of you can quote that line. The United States was suddenly and deliberately attacked by the naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. FDR was able to harness that anger, that outrage that was in the American people and that, what they felt, and he delivered a call to arms speech which motivated the American people and Congress that they needed to enter that war. You see, what Japan thought would be used to debilitate and defeat was instead used as the call to arms. It was used to motivate Americans to respond, to enter the fight. Japan's actions had the very opposite effect than what it had wanted. Instead of morally demoralizing America and causing it to run away from the fight, America responded to the attack as grounds for war and they picked up a call to arms. How should the church respond? when the enemy attacks. When the church is attacked, the devil would love nothing more than to see us back down and to give up. But the church should see the attack, should view the attack as a call to arms. We are not backing down, but we are fighting back. We're not giving up, but we are declaring war. Devil, you might have won a battle, but I have read the back of the book, and I know that at the end, God wins. So the church is not backing down from a fight. The church will respond with a call to arms. Here in Acts chapter 12, this is what was happening. The devil was trying to attack the church before the church really was able to get going. And Herod killed James, and it pleased the people so much, it pleased the Pharisees so much, that he said, boy, if that was good, wait till you see what I have next. And so they went after Peter. And so he gets Peter, and he arrests Peter, and it says that he had intended to execute P uh, Peter as well. And he was hoping that the church would respond by feeling demoralized. He was hoping the church would think, well, they've already killed James. We've already seen others martyred. We've already seen others killed. He was hoping that by taking Peter, their preacher, the, the leader of the church. Remember, Peter was the one that Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. Peter was the one that stood up among all the other disciples and he, he gave the first sermon in Acts chapter 2. And he was the one that we quote in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Herod thought that if he could capture him, have him executed, that that would completely stop the church. That would stop the growth of this church once and for all. They have already seen what has happened in the past, and now for sure, that's going to be the fate for Peter. However, that's not how the church responded. And that's not what happened. 
The church saw the attack as a call to arms, and they decided that they were going to fight. The early church didn't give up. The early church didn't just lie down and throw in the towel, but the church fought back. The church didn't try to fight the way that the world fights, though. The church didn't pick up swords. They didn't try to orchestrate some sort of jailbreak. They didn't try to go distract soldiers and break in and, and get Peter out. That's, that's the way the world would have responded. But that's not how the church responded. The church responded by getting together and praying. They got together, they got with their family, they got with their church family, and they binded together, and they prayed. And I have a feeling that this wasn't just one quick little prayer. I don't think they said, all right, God, please touch Peter. All right, let's, what's for dinner? I don't think it was just, now I lay my head to sleep sort of prayer. No, the early church, they knew how to get a hold of God. They knew how to, uh, to beseech the throne, to boldly go before the throne, as Sister Sheena preached a few weeks ago. They binded together, and they sought the Lord, and they prayed. Just like America saw that attack on Pearl Harbor as a call to arms, the early church took Herod's attack as a means for war. They took the attack of the enemy as a call to arms spiritually, and they went to war. When the church is united and knows how to reach the throne of God, there is no limit to what God can do. I'm going to say that again. When the church is united in one accord and they are determined and they go before the Lord and they know how to entertain the presence of the Holy Ghost, there is no limit to what God can do. The Bible says that when the church united and they prayed, that he moved in that prison. Bible records that Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Remember that word I couldn't say? There's four soldiers in total. There was two next to Peter while he was sleeping. There was two out in front of the gate. And all of a sudden, a bright light shined in that prison in the middle of the night. The, the angel co goes to Peter, and he, it says he smotes him on the shoulder, hits him. Like, Come on, wake up. Wake up. Let's go. It's time to go. Peter kind of dazed and confused. He's like, what's going on? He looks over. He sees the soldiers next to him asleep. And the angel says, follow me, let's go, let's go. The Bible says Peter was confused. He didn't know if he was in a dream or if it was real, but he said, okay. And he starts following the angel. They go, and it, it, the Bible's specific. It says they go through one checkpoint, and, and Peter's still surprised. He goes through the gates, and, or the, the doors of the prison, and there's those two soldiers there that are supposed to be guarding the doors, and they're asleep. They get through one checkpoint. They get through the second checkpoint. Then they finally get to the gate of the city, and the gate is closed. Surely Peter thinks, okay, I'm going to wake up now. It's the end of the dream. But all of a sudden, the gate opens up. Unattended, no one there to open it. But the gate of the city opens up. God provide the way. And Peter walks right through the gate. And right when he walks through the gate, that's when the angel disappears. And he realizes this was real. <laughs> this really happened. I'm actually free. I'm actually out of the prison. Acts chapter 12, verse 11 and 12 records it. And when Peter was come to himself, when he finally realized what had happened, he said, now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together and praying. 
This is when Peter realizes. He realizes it's real. He realizes he's free. And he thinks, okay, where do I do next? Where do I go? I know. I'm going to go to Mary's house. Why? Because I know the church is there. I know the church isn't just in their own individual homes. I know the church is together, and I know they're praying. And, and Peter, the Bible says Peter runs to the door, and he, he knocks on the door, and he's trying to let them know that he's alive. And the Bible says that a damsel comes and says, I know that voice. That's Peter. And so she runs. She runs back and tells the church, hey, it's Peter. He, he's out there. And they said, you're crazy. They say, you're crazy, you know, you're wrong. Peter's in, he's in prison, it's the middle of the night. Even if he was released, he wouldn't be released like that. No, you're crazy. She persisted and keeps saying, no, it's Peter, I'm telling you. I know it's, it's, it's him. And they said, okay, well, fine. If, it, if it's really him, then that's it. That's curtains for Peter. He must have been executed. And now you're just looking at his ghost. That's how bleak the situation looked to the church. The church was praying. They were united. They were fighting, but they didn't even expect it. They didn't even expect the miracle that was about to happen or what would happen. And so finally they go before and they, they, they go for themselves. They see Peter. There he is, Peter in the flesh. And, and this part kind of surprised me. I thought Peter would be looking for refuge and come in the house, but he doesn't. Peter says, go tell everybody else, I'm going to go to the next part of the church. Remember, the church didn't have a church building like we do today. They were gathered together in houses. And he goes off to other houses testifying, look, what God has done. Look how God has made a way. The situation looked impossible, but God made a way. We just sang it. Even in the impossible situations, God can make a way when the church fights back, when the church sees the battle and sees the attack of the enemy. And they say, I'm not giving up. I'm not running from it. I'm going to fight. I'm going to see it as a call to arms, and I'm going to unite with my church, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to praise, and God, just step back and watch what God can do. That's, that's not how Herod expected it to go. When Herod thought he was going to take Peter and capture him and execute him, that's not what he thought would happen. The enemy attacked thinking it would cause the church to, to crumble. But Herod was wrong. He miscalculated. You see, Herod thought the church would just tuck in its tail between its legs, go home. Herod thought the church would be crippled by this news and, and, not, wanna, and not have the will to fight without their preacher being arrested and scheduled to be executed, they would just give up. But Herod was wrong. When you are presented with a life-threatening event, psychology calls it the flight or fight response. Anyone ever hear of that? The fight or flight response. They've actually added a third one, or freeze. Fight, freeze, or flight. And the idea is if you're Presented with a situation that is uh, life-threatening or perceived to be stressful or life-threatening, that you will either do one of two things or three things. You either fight in that situation, or you will fly, run away, or you'll freeze up and not do anything. That, that's psychology. That, and it's kind of born in you. You can train it kind of out of you. You can practice and all those sort of things. But it's born in you what you naturally will do when presented with those situations. And uh, for an example... Let's say somebody comes to you and they, and, they, and they hold a gun up to you and says, stick them up. That would be a fight or flight reaction. Do you run away? Do you freeze? Or, or do you fight back? Uh, there was one time this past school year, I, I had a, the only situation I could think of like this, where at my job I do bus duty, which means I, I stand out and I greet the students as they come in. So it's dark, kids are coming in, and they're middle schoolers, so I'm saying, hi, good morning, how are you, how are you? They're all ignoring me, every single one of them, just as if I'm not even there. 
Good morning, good to see you. Sometimes I'll just keep calling them by name. Bye, see ya. Hey, it's great to see ya. Thanks for acknowledging me. They don't. And I'm standing out there doing this as I do every day. And um, at our school, our middle school and our high school are pretty close. And some of the high schoolers actually park in the middle school parking lot. And I look over and I see two high schoolers fighting. And they're just, they're on the ground, they're, they're fighting. And my, my instinct, I'll be honest with you, was the flight. My instinct was, oh, someone should go help. Then I remembered, oh, wait, that's me. That's supposed to be me, isn't it? Seventh graders, any seventh graders want to go over there? No? Okay. And so, so I did. I, I, I ran over there, and so I, I wasn't really thinking at this point, so I run all the way over there, and as I get closer to them, I realize, yeah, they're high schoolers. And I get all the way to them, and I get, I get between these two very large guys, and they're fighting, and I'm like, now, now. <laughs> and I'm thinking, both of these could kill me. If one of them had the idea to just punch me in the face, I'm done. I'm telling you, I was gone. And I'm just sitting there, stop it, stop it. Hands are for hugging, hands are for hugging, stop it. And I don't know why, I think probably because they didn't really want to fight anyway, they eventually just stopped with me there. But that's the fight or flight, right? What are you going to do when presented with a situation like that? And what the enemy wants to do when you're presented, when the enemy attacks, he tries to do a surprise attack on you. He tries to come after you. He comes after your family. He, he, he hits you with sickness. He hits you with disease. He hits you with, with stress and anxiety. He hits you with these trials and these tribulations. And he's hoping to instigate that fight or flight. And really, he's hoping for the flight or the freeze. The devil's very content if we can retreat. Or if we can even just freeze and just stay put. He's very content if we will just stop right where we are and not fight back. But what the devil doesn't know is that the church is going to fight. The church is going to fight. We're, that's what the early church did, and that's what the church today does. We're going to fight. They saw the attack. The early church saw the attack that was waged on them as a call to arms. We're not going down without a fight. How should the church respond when we have a trial? We're going to respond by fighting. We're going to respond. We're not giving up. We're staying put. We're staying right here, and we're going to fight this. Amen? Amen. So, how do we do that? Well, before I go, let's go through a couple of verses. We're going to do it spiritually. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. For we walk, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We fight spiritually. We don't fight physically, but we fight spiritually. We're going to bind together. That's what the church did. The early church, the first thing they did was they got together. They got together. They said, you know what? Peter's in trouble. And remember, they didn't really believe he would be saved, but they were going to get together anyhow. They were going to get together, and they were going to fight, and they were going to pray. Our church has certainly been through our share of attacks. The enemy thought it could disrupt us. It could disrupt our lives by bringing in sickness and disease, by bringing trials and struggles, even bringing in death. He thought that it could just throw the church flying or into freeze mode. But I have news for you, devil. We are still here. We are not running. We are not freezing. But we are fighting. We are fighting. You might have meant it for our evil devil, but my God meant it 
for good. I wish someone in the room would not, right now would stand to your feet and begin to worship God in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your battle, in the midst of your storm. We are making a public proclamation that we're not running, but we are fighting this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, Lord. We're fighting, God. We're fighting. Glory to God. Glory to God. You may be seated. When the enemy attacks, we're not going to back down. We're not running from this truth. We're not running from each other, but we see the attack as a call to arms, and we're making a declaration of war. We're going to unite. We're going to unite as a church. What are The first thing they did, Acts 12, 12, we don't have to go back there, but it says, many were gathered together in Mary's house. They gathered together. God has given us a church. He has given us each other. He has given us the fivefold ministry, preachers and pastors, teachers, apostles, evangelists. But he's given us more than that. He's given us each other. He's given us brothers and sisters. The first thing you need to do when the enemy is attacking you and your family is to draw to church. Draw to church. Draw to the events. Draw to the services, to the ministries. Every chance you can be here. I will tell the youth all the time, and the doors are open, you come. You be here. If you're available, you come and you be in the presence of the Lord. Don't miss out. It goes against our natural instinct. Our human fleshly natural instinct is to retreat when we're under attack. I don't want to go out. I, I don't want to be around people. I, I, I'm embarrassed maybe. Maybe I'm ashamed. I, I, I'm fragile and I don't want people to see me like this in, in my vulnerable state. That's in all of us. It, it was in Adam and Eve in the garden. Their, their first instinct was to cover up cover up and go hide. That was their response. But that's not how we fight. How we fight? We fight by coming together as a church, by uniting, by building one another up, praying, strengthening one another. This includes coming to every church service, class, ministry, event, coming as much as possible. It includes calling and texting each other, forming relationships. We we tell, again, we tell the youth all the time, this is is your friend group right here. It's great to have friends at school. It is. It's fine. Have friends at school. But these are your friends that you're going to build relationships with, that you're going to reinforce one another. You're going to strengthen one another. This is where we find our strength. This is how we fight back. James chapter 5, verse 14 through 16 says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up. And if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual fervent prayer. We'll talk about prayer next. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other. We need the body. That's why God gave us each other. He gave us the church to, to fight these battles. The early church, that's what they did. That's how they responded. They came together. They united. But then what did they do? The Bible says they prayed. They sought the Lord. The Bible says that, that they, it wasn't just they prayed, but it says they prayed without ceasing. They prayed without ceasing for Peter. Again, I don't think this was just a quick prayer. 
I don't think this was just a real quick, let's, you know, now I lay my head to sleep kind of prayer, but this was a, let's reach the throne of God. I bet you, there were people on their knees. I bet you probably see people praising and worshiping. I bet you would see people jumping up and down. I bet you saw people entering into the presence of the throne room on behalf of Peter. The early church, they knew. They knew how to unite together to go boldly before the throne of grace, before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And they had themselves a prayer meeting. When the enemy attacks, the church will not be defeated, but it is a call to arms. When you see the trial, when you see your brothers and sisters going through a trial, it is a call to prayer. It is a call to pick up our weapon, first to unite as a church, but then to pray. We used to use the acronym, I'm sure many of you still know it, PUSH. Pray until something happens. Pray until you reach the throne. Pray until you feel the presence of God. You see, prayer is not simply, I know we've, we've talked about this many times, that prayer is not simply a vending machine. You put in your $1.50 prayer and you get out your miracle. That's not what prayer is. Remember the early church when they were praying for Peter, they were shocked when Peter showed up. They weren't expecting that, but they were praying anyway. Why? Why would they pray anyway if they didn't really expect that to happen? Because prayer, most importantly, is not to change God, but it's to change us. Prayer is for us to get into the presence of God and for him to change us and to change our will to his will. Oh, we should ask, right? The Bible tells us to bring your requests. We should ask our requests. But ultimately, we pray like Jesus prayed in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. You see, James was already killed in the story. I'm sure they prayed for James too. Peter, later on, I don't know how much longer he lived, but later on would have been executed by the state just like this. We don't know what God's will is, but our job is to pray anyway. Our job is to get in the presence of the Lord and fight that spiritual battle. Get into the presence of the Holy Ghost and start to pray in the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.26 says it like this. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is deep prayers. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that, all, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good for them that love God to them that are called according to his purpose. This is why we can still get through when sometimes things aren't answered the way we want them to be answered. We can just let that alone and say, you know what, God, I trust you. Even though James in this story was killed, I'm sure they were heartbroken by that, but they had to say, Jesus, we just trust you. Jesus, we trust you through it. We don't know the will of God, and we just pray, and we get into the presence, and that's where God, that's where the attack, and that's where the spiritual warfare takes place. The other thing, the other weapon we have, so we have prayer, but the other weapon we have, we've already done today, and that's praise. That's a weapon we have, is that we can still praise God in the middle of, of our storm, in the middle of our trial when we come and we can still have praise and worship for God. Watch what happens when we praise God. This is in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter 5, 13 says, It came even to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, 
to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, this is good church right here, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That then, see, when we praise, that's what brings in the Spirit of God. I had the misconception when I was a young person. I thought I had to feel God first, and then that would make me run the aisles and jump around and holler. It's the opposite. I praise God because of who he is. And if you're going through a storm, guess what? You still praise God because of who he is. You praise God, and what happens when you praise God, when you do that, the end of this verse, the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. When we are attacked with sickness, with anxiety, with disappointment, death, fear, when we're oppressed by the enemy and the trials come, the devil is hoping that it will cripple us. It will cause us to that flight or that freeze. But when we decide and we make a decision that we're going to fight, we're going to fight, we're going to unite together, we're going to come together, we're going to pray, and we're going to praise. I'm going to worship God because he's worthy anyway. You know what you're doing? You're taking your problem and you're setting it to the side. You're taking your worldly issue, you're taking the attack of the enemy, and you're minimalizing it. See, the devil wants to, you to magnify that. God wants you to magnify the Lord. So I'm not going to magnify my problem. I'm going to put my problem right there, and I'm just going to praise the Lord. I'm just going to worship the Lord, because God is still worthy. God is still great. That's how we fight. Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and will heal their land. The early church, they knew how to praise and worship. They knew how to praise and worship through this trial. Now, in this story, it just said they prayed, but it said they prayed without ceasing. They prayed all night. Again, I, I don't believe they just sat there somber and prayed quietly to themselves. I think they had church. I think they praised. And I know because a few chapters later, that's what we see them doing. Paul and Silas, we know the story. Paul and Silas went in prison, shackled, in, in, in a dungeon. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of what these prisons look like. They're not, you know, United States maximum security facilities here. They're, they're holes. They're dirt. It's gross. Terrible. And in the middle of the night, Paul and Silas, they're in that prison. They're in this dark state under attack. I'm sure they felt abandoned. But what's the Bible say they were doing? They were praising God anyway. It says they were singing and they were praising God. I don't know what kind of praise song they would have been singing. I don't know what kind of worship song they would have been singing in, in Hebrew or Greek, but I just like to imagine they're maybe sitting there with the chains all over them saying, I, I gotta praise. I gotta praise and I gotta get it out. I gotta praise. I don't know. Or maybe it was something like, all of my fear will turn into praise. Shake off despair as I sing out your name. And as they're praising God, as they're worshiping God in the middle of that trial, when the church responds by praising and worship God, worshiping God in the middle of your trial. The shackles that were meant to bind you, to hold you, began to just fall off of them. And they began to have freedom in the Lord. Can we just lift up our hands, God? Hallelujah, Lord. We will praise you in the storm, God. We will praise you in the storm, God. We're, we're not flying. We're not freezing. But we're fighting. Amen. When the enemy attacks... We're fighting. And musicians, you can come. I'm, I'm coming to a close. A few years ago, our family was under attack. 
our family went through a hard time. And the Lord revealed to us what the enemy wanted to do. The Bible says not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. And the Lord revealed to us what the devil was trying to do. He was trying to sow discord. He was trying to get us angry with one another, fighting, bickering, silly things, trying to, to put a root of bitterness in us. And he attacked us. Our family was hurt. But we didn't, we didn't fly and we didn't freeze. That's what he wanted. He wanted us to leave. He wanted us to abandon the church. He wanted us to, to stop coming to things. And it would have been a slow fade, but that's what he intended. That's what the devil wanted from us. But instead, what we did, our family went to pastor. We said, we're fighting this. We're fighting this. And you know what pastor and sister Showstrand did for us? They gave us a call to arms. They told us it's time to pray. They gave us a little envelope. They said, write out your prayer requests. Whatever, God want, whatever you want God to do for you and for your family, write it out on this piece of paper, put it in this envelope, and seal it. And until then, we're going to keep praying for those prayers, and we're going to praise and worship God throughout all of it. Some of those prayers have been answered, praise God. Some of those prayers, we're still praying. But until they come true, until God answers them, we're going to be sitting there praising him anyhow. We're going to come together as a church. We're going to be united. We're going to pray, and we're going to praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. When the church is attacked, we're going to fight. We're going to fight by uniting in prayer and praise, just like the early church did. I know many of you have felt the attack on the enemy, whether it's personally, individually, whether it's your family, whether it's just been the church. You felt the attack, but we're fighting it. But we're fighting it. If you're ready to keep fighting, this altar is open. We're not running away. We're not freezing. We're fighting. Let's come. Lord, we love you.